Hi, I'm Georgie Frost and welcome to The Pace Setters, the CIO and Hewlett-Packard Enterprise podcast series, which looks at how chief information officers can get value from their data to stay ahead of the pack. In this episode, the last in the series, we're going to take a look back at what we've learned and recap some of the key bits of practical advice that we've heard so far. And to help me do that, I'm joined by two doyens of data from different sides of the pond. Hi, I'm Jack Gold. I am the president and principal analyst at J.Gold Associates, an analyst firm. And uh, I have been looking at various technology and IT issues for better than 25 years and have been in the electronics and computer industries for, oh my, almost 50 years. So I uh, have a fair amount of experience in this space and look forward to having this discussion. Hi, I'm Aid McCormack. I'm relatively speaking a young buck. I've been about 40 years in the IT industry, formerly as a technologist today, focused on helping organizations and even societies thrive in the digital or post-COVID era. Okay, lots to get through, so let's crack on. First up, here's Tobias Roltz, the head of global IT and digital business at the wire processing company Comax, echoing the words and thoughts of CIOs everywhere. I'm not only passionate about data, I'm, I'm especially passionate about uh, our customers and, and how we can solve problems for customers with innovative solutions. And then if you look to the business today, you right ahead start with data. Tobias Roltz there, effective use of data is key. Jack, do you agree? I absolutely agree. The real issue is that most companies don't do a very good job of using their data. In fact, we've looked at some of the data that companies are trying to use and find that probably 85 to 90%, perhaps in some companies even more like 95 to 98% of data, while it's in storage, never really gets used, never really gets analyzed, never gets discovered as to what kind of information is available there. So uh, I fully agree that if you're a company that is not using that prime raw resource, you're really missing the boat. And just, just to build on that, data is critical, you know, following the data, like following the money. So we need to be very, very sensitive to what the market actually wants, and that comes from the data. And by the same token, we need to take the data that we acquire from the market, from the environment, and to repackage that and serve it back to the market as insight, value-added insight. Yes, clearly, if you don't use the insight that you get from the data, then what good is it? It is uh, something that just sits there on a shelf, in this case, an electronic shelf, perhaps, and doesn't really offer you any benefit from a business perspective. So I fully agree with Aid. If you don't use the data and you don't have actionable intelligence available from that data, then why are you even accumulating that data? It makes no sense. One reoccurring theme throughout the series has been how the role of the CIO has changed over the last few years as businesses increasingly realise the need to sweat data as an asset to achieve business objectives, from better customer service to operational efficiency. CIOs are gradually moving from the backroom to the boardroom. Well, here's what Carl Hood's Chief Digital and Information Officer, the Department for Business, Energy and Industrial Strategy, had to say about it. I think part of the other role of CIOs is to, to help educate 
the rest of your peers and the C-suite in terms of the value that data can bring, as well as other digital skills, which does add to the complication of the CIO role when it comes to that, because you're an educator as well as a, a deliverer of services. So data evangelist and data educator are CIOs pushing at an open door in your experience aid, or are they still facing some resistance from above, do you think? Well, I think to say that CIOs have gradually moved from the backroom to the boardroom is probably a slightly over-optimistic statement. I think a lot of CIOs are still caught in the uh, the mire of operational uh, run-the-business activities. And um, yes, some are indeed uh, getting involved in slightly more strategic things. At this point in time, they're probably tied up with working from home and collaboration tech type matters. But really, the opportunity for CIOs at this moment in time is to be proposing uh, new data-driven business models that the organization can pivot to in the light of their own existing business models collapsing under the the force of um, COVID-19. So I think there is a great opportunity for CIOs to play a strategic role in the direction of the organization. But my fear is that most CIOs are tied up in, if you like, the more mundane aspects of run the business. And today that extends to save the business as opposed to transform the business. Jack, your views? I don't disagree looking at it from the perspective of what's happening today with the COVID epidemic that's changed a lot of plans for a lot of companies. And uh, most companies are in the process today of coping rather than trying to be strategic. That said, I think the CIO role generally is changing, at least in companies that are going to be successful long-term. In the past, the CIO was really a technologist. They were expected to make things happen in the data center. Today, perhaps it's the cloud. And have things passed over the wall to them. Here is an application that we need, go make it run or get the network to work or add a disk drive or whatever. I see the role as much more strategic these days. The CIO really needs to be a partner in the strategy going forward because technology today is vastly different than where it was 10 years ago. 10 years ago, it was kind of part of the infrastructure like furniture, like machines in a manufacturing plant. Today, most of the C-suite doesn't really have a firm understanding of what the technology can do for a business based on all of the advanced tech that's coming online. And so you said it earlier that the CIO needs to be an educator. It's absolutely true. They need to be an educator. They also need to be a partner in building a long-term strategy for where that business is going and what's available to make the business function and succeed. Just to build on that, um, absolutely right. I almost think that the world that we're moving into now is one that is more supportive of the chief technology officer being the partner to the organization because technology is a game changer Uh, as is data. And I think CIOs sometimes forget what the I in CIO stands for. It doesn't stand for IT manager. It stands for information, which of course is a derivative of data. 
And data management itself goes much more beyond where you store it. And, you know, essentially data has no value like um, unrefined oil. It's the refinement process where I think the IT department or the information department has the potential to add a lot of value. And I think organizations have not been as quick to repurpose their IT functions in that respect as they should. I fully agree with you. I think one of the issues is, frankly, how old that organization or that company is. This isn't universally true, but it does seem that some of the newer, perhaps more high-tech companies that have been around for relatively short periods of time have much more of a a focus on what you were just talking about, Aid, and some of the older companies that have been around for decades seem to still be in the model of the CIO as a technology service organization, or IT in general as a service organization. Again, it's not universally true. There are good examples and bad examples of both. But I think it's an evolving role. I think it's changed over the last few years. I think many organizations, many C-suites really aren't quite sure of where the technology can take them. It's also an issue not just around the data, but security, the security of that data, not just how I use it. How do I keep it safe given all of the malware and all of the attacks that we're facing? And so it's an evolving role. I think it will continue to evolve over the next few years. But I think it's very important for companies to understand that the CIO starts with the C. It needs to be part of the C-suite. It needs to be part of the strategy going forward. Now, as we often hear, data is the new oil, but only if it's properly refined. And that's a task that's made all the more difficult by the sheer amount of data that's out there. Well, here's Tony Stranick from HPE. If we look back traditionally, data has always been created by applications which sit in the data center, which sit on some defined infrastructure. But nowadays, more and more, we're getting this term of data being created at the edge through sensors, through mobile phones, through video cameras, through all those kind of things. And that's creating data outside of the traditional boundaries of data center infrastructure. And we have to start thinking about how we handle that in different ways and how we value it and how we prioritize it and and, and how we access it. in, uh, in many cases. To me, it's actually gone beyond uh, human capability. You know, we're going to have to change the way that we think about doing this. No longer is it a person with a spreadsheet who has this server attaches to this piece of disk on this network and, and this is the data. We're just way, way, way beyond that. Aid, how can CIOs and their organisations deal with all this constantly expanding amount of data that's being created? Well, I would say that a lot of focus up until now has been around data management. I think we need to kind of focus a little bit more on data value management. I mean, like humans, we take in a hell of an amount of data every second, but we have something in our brain called the reticular activation system, which basically filters out a lot of what we actually uh, take in. So our consciousness is only aware of a very small subset of what's actually going on. A bit like a whale. A whale will swallow anything, and within that 
that it swallows, a small amount of it is actual plankton. So the ability to get to the plankton, so to speak, in the data, in terms of the value in the data, is very, very critical. So the ability to discard data as quickly as possible is equally as important as simply storing it, because a lot of data goes very stale very quickly. I like your use of, of water analogies, because in a previous episode of Paysetters Age, you said that until you get your enterprise data model right, your analytics tools aren't diving into a data lake, they're diving into a data cesspit, i.e. you can't run analytics and turn data into tangible insights unless you have your data in order. Is that a common mistake that you're seeing being made? Well, I think Jack alluded to it earlier on in terms of Older organizations have uh, legacy systems and they lack a coherent, if you like, enterprise data model. So no matter how fancy your graphics are at the front end, if they're feeding of this disparate, disconnected set of uh, data puddles around the organization, it's going to serve up um, lies or mistruths. Jack, your response to that? I agree. I would look at it slightly differently. Uh, the whole notion of data lakes and, and cesspits <laughs> and the like. Look, most companies generate incredible amounts of data that they really don't even know what to do with. And that data ends up being put into storage somewhere locally in the cloud, wherever it happens to be, in big, huge uh, disk farms. And then maybe some of that data gets processed. I think we have to change the model. I think we have to look at basically mining data at the edge where it's created before it gets to these big, huge data lakes or turns into cesspits. And if we do optimizing of data with analytics run at the edge where it's being generated, and then roll up some of that knowledge to the main analysis point, perhaps in the cloud, perhaps in a data center, where we can refine it even further, then we can actually make a lot more use of that data. I'll give you a, a quick example. We all know these days uh, that because of security purposes, there are cameras scattered around many locations in many places, public and private. And in order to find bad actors, bad people walking in front of those cameras, we have to do some analysis. Now, we could argue about the privacy, but that aside for the moment, there are two models that we could undertake. We could take all that data from the thousands of cameras and send all that data to a central processing organization. And then with those thousands and millions of images of people walking by, try to find Jack, try to find Aid, try to find Georgie. Or we can do something different. We can have processing, localized processing at the point the data is generated and then only look for certain people or certain attributes perhaps that would set off an alarm, then take that data and send it to a central processing location for further analysis and for further action. I think that's the new model that we have to start looking at. It's a distributed analytics. It's a distributed environment where if we pre-process a lot of the data up front, then the overall data analysis becomes much less of a burden to companies and can be done more effectively. I think that's a fascinating way of looking at it. It's a bit like 
if you find yourself in a situation where you are about to be attacked, you can either rely on muscle memory because you are a, an accomplished martial artist, or you may have to revert to what would I do in this situation, which involves some cognitive processing, and the latter is not the way forward. The more you can instantly respond uh, because you've got sensors out in the field, so to speak, the more agile, the more adaptive you will be to, to your environment, so to speak. And there is certainly a trend, as I'm seeing it, that more and more is happening out on the edge. And, you know, with the proliferation of IoT, I think, you know, we're moving away from this, if you like, cloud-centric model. And the other thing that's making that, aside from IoT, which is clearly an accelerator in this space, the other thing that's making this happen is that it's becoming much easier to put in high-speed interconnects between sources of data and central processing and edge processing, whether it's optical fiber or soon to be more 5G. Uh, 5G is available, but not everywhere yet. It's becoming much more likely that you're able to have a distributed computing environment and therefore do distributed analysis rather than having to rely solely on a central processing core where many companies have been in the past. And that just makes the problem much easier in one sense. It also makes it difficult in the sense that you now have to have a distributed analytical tool or AI system that is able to bring all of this together kind of in a community. Well, you mentioned AI there, Jack. Uh, one tool a lot of data analysts get rather excited about is AI. Now, it's clearly got a big role to play, and I'll get your views on that uh, in a short while. But that's not to say everybody is convinced it's going to be the be-all and the end-all. Alison Davis is CIO at the Natural History Museum and, in a former life, did the same job at the world-renowned Biomedical Research Centre, the Francis Crick Institute. I think I'm reserved about the the benefits to science of AI. I mm. think there's a lot of benefits to medicine and to some of the other areas I've worked in in pharmaceuticals in terms of diagnostics, in terms of looking at the current coronavirus outbreak, for example, and analysis. But I think in terms of basic science and really trying to make the, the leaps where you try and understand the way the universe is working... I think it's hard to see how AI will have sufficient neurodiversity to be able to make those leaps. It's still working, I think, to a set of rules. However granular and however clever you make those rules, there's still an embedded set of rules in it. So Alison Davis there. Well, Jack, how do you see the impact of AI, especially when it comes to offering more value to how an organisation collects and analyses its data but also with regard to what Alison just said there. It's an interesting perspective. I'm not sure I fully agree with that. And here's why. We have to be very careful when we talk about AI. Everyone talks about AI as a new buzzword, the new hype. AI is not one thing. AI is actually many things. And it ranges all the way from small analytical types of systems that do minor analysis up through heavy-duty, deep-learning, massive compute engines. And there's all kinds of things in the middle that are trained. I like to look at AI in most companies as a two-stage process. Rather than call it artificial intelligence, at least in the early stages of deployment, I look at it more as assisted intelligence. 
That's to say that there are some tools out there that when applied to uh, data and trained properly, and that's a key, trained properly, they can provide insight simply uh, that humans couldn't because there is so much data to digest. That's an assisted process. When we move to the next phase, or actually two or three phases further down the road, when we have real true machine learning where compute systems can actually infer things based on knowledge that isn't necessarily biased by what we've trained them to do, then we start looking at true artificial intelligence. That's a ways away. We're not talking about that now. We're not talking about that in the next year or two. Probably That's a, probably a five to 10 year process in order to get there. So I think that what we're hearing about uh, artificial intelligence today is just the tip of the iceberg. There are some valuable tools. And by the way, a lot of tools that are called AI aren't really, but it's the new hype phrase, so everyone has to use it. But I think there is a lot of potential for AI if it's understood in terms of what it's good at and what it can do for us. I would absolutely go along with that. I mean, as a child of the 60s, I was expecting full anthropomorphic robots in the home by the year 2000. That hasn't happened. Uh, so AI, in its true sense, has been actually very, very disappointing. Where we've seen advances is in computing uh, processing capacity, storage capacity, and in some maths parlor tricks, which are often referred to as machine learning. What we have today at best is artificial, artificial intelligence. And we're going to have to wait a little while for neuroscience as a science to um, accelerate before we get genuinely into AI. And I think the kind of path that Jack has laid out is exactly the way we're going. I think there's some other interesting things going on as well. I, f I fully agree with what you just said, Aid, in the sense that we're taking some baby steps right now. But there's also a lot of work going on in building new compute infrastructure and compute architectures that make AI and machine learning and deep learning much more effective, much more capable. It's not exactly a one-to-one -one comparison, but if we look back 10, 15 years ago, 20 years ago at the world of graphics, the advances that have been made over the last couple of decades in making graphics processing look realistic from compared to where it was in, in the early days, is just orders of magnitude beyond what we could have imagined in the 70s or 80s. And I think we'll see the same thing in AI, but it's going to take some time to get there. And there's a lot of technology that needs to still be invented, that still needs to be optimized. And we're going to see a lot of, of work in that space. Look, AI as a concept, it's been around for 60 or 70 years. I think it was first proposed in the 50s. So it's a slow moving target, but we will get to a lot more capability than we have today. And by the way, I don't think it takes over the world as some <laughs> have worried AI is going to replace us all and make us look uh, you know, like people in the matrix. I don't think it happens. No, I don't think many carpet cleaning robots are having thoughts of insurrection. <laughs> That's reassuring to know. Um, Jack, you're talking there about baby steps, uh, the benefits of AI, you know, running before we can walk. And you've mentioned there, both of you, that machine learning. Is that where the real value lies at the moment? Yes. I think if you look at AI 
and you look at the benefits of AI, it's benefits of problems to be solved that are well-defined, that are relatively straightforward, that just use a lot of data that we have to process quickly. It's not about heavy-duty, I'm a human being, what does my existence mean? That's, uh, that's well beyond, I think, what we can do today. But if you've got a lot of data about your customers running an AI system that says, what are some of the trends? What are some of the possibilities? As an example, right, everyone's working from home right now. What are the problems that we see if I'm a network provider, if I'm a data provider? Where are the sore points? Or where are people doing really well? What's the most popular trends that we're seeing? How do we then take that information and use AI to say, okay, if that's available today, what do I need in six months? What do I need in 12 months? What are people going to want? Will that help me make a better product? Will that help me offer a better service? I think those are the kinds of, relatively speaking, baby steps that we can take with this, but baby steps are okay. If you're not walking at all, even baby steps are in advance. But I think machine learning is making great strides and being very helpful in terms of back office, robot process automation, and so on. Where I cringe a little bit is where we're seeing AI uh, used at the front end in, for example, chatbots. You know, it's like engaging with a call center uh, staffed with people on a strict diet of barbiturates. It's not the greatest of experiences. Um, so I think organizations are risking their brand by using AI at the front end, but that will no doubt get better over time. So overall takeaways from this podcast series, embed your data strategy in the overall business strategy. Make sure you've got the board on board and indeed all layers of the business, full disclosure of where you're going and the concrete benefits of proper use of data and implement a robust and future-ready IT infrastructure that can handle the exponential growth of data. Anything I'm missing, Aid? Well, I think it's important to realise the power of data when it comes to creating um, new business models, data-driven business models. And I like Jack's sort of ideas around the edge computing. And I often talk about moving your inert factory to becoming a living, sensing organism. And I think that's where the sort of edge piece becomes very, very important. In the uh, US military, they have this concept of OODA, which is uh, observe, orient, decide, and act. So observe is the data collection. The orient is make a decision as to what's happening in this situation. Decide is where you start to bring in your analytics tools, uh, and act is literally taking the action. So what I'm saying here, in essence, is not to overly focus on data, because in this real-time world that's changing minute by minute, uh, execution is everything. So having data for the sake of it is not enough. We need to turn data into value through execution. I fully agree. And I think there are a couple other issues that people need to be focused on. First of all, if you do a data analysis and it's bad data to begin with, you're not going to get a very good result. Secondly, data should be sourced, should be looked at, should be evaluated based on where you think your business is going. And if you're only being driven by the data and that's bad data, you could have a very bad outcome. So don't discount humans, right, in evaluating data. Don't discount 
insights that you might get, but also be aware that you can get bad insights if you do a bad analysis of the data. The final point I would make, though, around all of this is make sure you remain fully flexible, fully agile. What you're doing today for data discovery, for analysis, for early AI and machine learning will change over the next couple of years. And don't decide that what you've put in place today is going to be good for the next decade as we've done in the past with legacy systems, because it's not going to be. And that's an important consideration. This is an ongoing investment and you will get returns only if you make continuous long-term good investments. Thank you both. All good advice there. My thanks to Jack Gold and Aid McCormick. Now, that's it for this series of Paysetters podcasts. But if you want to keep up with the ever-expanding world of data and data management, there's lots more information about this on hpe.com and cio.com. Goodbye. Goodbye.